This is Crowcast, the podcast from Crow in the UK, a leading audit, tax, advisory and risk firm with global reach and local expertise. In our podcast, you will hear from our specialists, offering insights and pragmatic advice to businesses of all sizes, professional practices, non-profit organisations, pension funds and private clients. Hello and welcome to this episode of Crowcasts. I'm Mark Adderley, a manager in professional practices, and I'm delighted to be joined by Richard Hill, a council member at the ILFM. In today's episode, we're discussing the recent findings in Crow's annual law firm benchmarking survey conducted in conjunction with the ILFM. Our benchmarking survey is primarily based on data submitted by UK law firms with financial years ending in the first half of 2022 and provides insight into how firms performed as we enter the post-pandemic period. So Richard, jumping straight in, the results of the survey suggest that firms are cautiously optimistic about the legal market, despite a challenging economic climate. How do you think firms might react to the current economy? I think firms have proved to be very resilient through COVID, and in particular um, post-COVID, and I think many will just carry on as normal. I think from a financial point of view, I think there'd be three areas they're going to focus on. Uh, costs, uh, cash and what they charge. I think with costs, it's very hard at the moment with increasing salaries, PI costs to actually control some of those. So they may look elsewhere to cut costs where they can and to control them as best they can in the current market. Maybe around hybrid working can have some savings as well. I think actually they're really going to focus on cash planning out the cash reserves, ensure there's not billing fluctuations, making sure bills are raised on time and clients are sent their bills uh, as soon as possible. I think with interest rates going up as well, I think there's going to be more focus on lending because that's going to become more expensive as well. Uh, I think in terms of charging, I think it's going to be very difficult to cover some of the increases just by increasing costs because clients will also be more sensitive to costs because they have their own cash to manage as well. Um, But I do think pricing isn't just around increasing costs. I think in the survey, it suggested 15% think lawyers are good at scoping pricing, which suggests 85% are not good. (laughs) So naturally, I think being able to price and scope work to the client to avoid fee and scope leakage is actually something to really focus on. I think they're the three key areas in terms of finances. I think beyond that, I think how they manage their talent, attract talent, not just through Uh, long-term salary increases, which are probably not sustainable. I think how they compete to win new work. Um, I don't think competing just on price is a good idea, especially with shrinking profit margins with increasing costs. Um, That, I think, then flow through to maybe efficiency, using technology to work smarter, work better, something that's not always been um, taken up by many law firms. But we are seeing more sharing of documents, collaborations, electronic signatures now that I think are shown post-COVID, more efficient ways of working. And I think also you're probably going to see more M&A activity as firms push for growth, buying revenue, expertise, possibly location. And I think you're already going to see or have seen more M&A activity. Um, If the leases are coming up, possibly better working space. But getting back to the financial point, I think the three main areas are around cost, cash and charging. Yeah, no, I think that that's really interesting, Richard. And it picks up on the, the key themes that pull through on the survey, um, which, which anybody can go and have a look at on our website. 
some of the, the biggest things, as you say, are costs because you can't necessarily pass those on to clients in, in the easiest way. And they just seem really, really high on the agenda. And like you say, salary inflation, you can't get into a bidding war with that and you can't lock yourself into long-term increases because they just aren't sustainable. I think taking salaries aside, um, the average increase in PII was about 23%. Yeah, very high. <laughs> it was staggering, to be honest. Um, have you got any thoughts or insights from your work life as to how firms can control their PII costs? I think some of it's out of their control. I think the market, the forces are that where insurers are exiting the market, there's lack of appetite, it's seen as unprofitable. That means there's less choice and therefore means premiums will naturally rise. Uh, there's concerns over the uh, minimum terms conditions, um, runoff cover issues. So there are elements that are out of the control, but it's trying to limit that increase and reduce it as best you can. It's about two things, managing and mitigating risk and then keeping a good claims record. Um, understanding what insurers look for is key, but not just giving a tick box exercise is actually integrating in the day-to-day operations of the firm. Um, maybe some things to think about presenting your firm with your renewal is key. Having a good broker who can explain and convey how you manage risk is important to that. Also, not being afraid to speak to insurers. It's something we've done in the past with higher risk work is to ensure that we explain the work we do and how we manage the risk associated with that work. I also think looking at some of the key areas in emerging risk, insurers are very sensitive about at the moment. That can be sanctions. Cyber is still high on the agenda. I think remote working and how you supervise with remote working, how you look at the claims history and then learn from that, but being able to put that in a day-to-day context of your work, not just ticking a box on a proposal form. Um, but I think they're some of the key areas. I think independent review as well. It's very well saying how well you're managing the firm. Um, we're ISO accredited, so we have audits and we take the snapshots from that, independent file reviews, and we take that and feed that into our proposal to ensure us to actually show this is what others are saying, how well we're doing as well. No, that's that's really interesting. And a lot of the conversations that I'm having with clients at the moment are based around a risk culture, not just a risk responsiveness. Yeah. So it's having that approach of, yes, we may have made a mistake. What are we going to do following up from that? How can we stop it reoccurring? And about being transparent with all of your stakeholders, whether that be the SRA, whether it be your insurers, whether it be your fellow partners, if you're in a large enough firm that you don't necessarily tell every partner everything. I think notifications are a good example of that because from an insurer's point of view, they see it as good risk management. Some firms are hesitant because they're worried about the outcome, but actually insurers like firms that will notify hoping it doesn't go to a claim. But notification can be a good way of managing risk. Yeah, no, I agree. I think just from conversations with firms, a couple of other ways that we've seen that can help um, is really accurate data recording Mm. when, when you're doing those renewals. So just because something happens to sit under a higher risk banner, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be high risk work. So say if you've got wills and probates that in there, writing a will is obviously much lower risk than managing a pro or conducting mm. a probate matter. So it's about how you tag your data in your practice management system and how well it can be pulled out and put into that report. Even sometimes as well, it's about 
showing the work you've turned away due to the risk and not just managing high-risk work, but actually turning that work away to show that you've considered that and decided not to carry out the work, whether it be to risks, it's not uh, your area of expertise. Um, it could be that. And I think that, is again, is a good way of showing insurers you're taking it seriously. Uh, that is really interesting, actually. Um, something we talk to clients a lot about is maintaining a register of judgments by the COFA, um, primarily from the accounts rules perspective, but it's really interesting to think about it from that overall risk judgments piece. Yeah. Um, so that's definitely a, a takeaway from, from today. Following on from talking about staff, um, and whilst perhaps you can't lock in those higher salary increases, there's always that potential of partnership at the end of the line for, for, fee, for fee earners. Um, 80% of participants thought that the partnership models will remain appropriate for the majority of firms in the future. How do you feel about that? Do you think that employees still aspire to partnership or has the world changed? I think the world has changed, but I think I'm not surprised 80% said the partnership model um, is for them. Um, I think there's been, whilst there's been a big increase where now more firms have incorporated, I think nearly 53 to 55% are limited companies. I think that was driven by short-term tax reasons. Um, I think, yes, LLPs and partnerships have been reduced over the last 10 years, um, but I see that levelling off now. We're really we're back to a place where the tax advantages, we have corporation tax going up in April to around 25%, I think it is, that it's quite a neutral position now. So I think most firms think about partnership without needing to incorporate unless maybe taking external investment and I think within the survey it said around 20% um, would take external investment that may correlate with the 20% that considering limited companies because that would probably be the primary driver for incorporating because uh, outside investors will prefer a more corporate structure than a partnership. Yeah I think partnerships are still that magical mythical world that not everyone really understands. (laughs) Well, I think that leads into the second point there around employees aspiring to a partnership. I think it's definitely not the natural route for everyone now. It used to be becoming an equity partner was seen as the ultimate goal. I think people have changed. I think the pressures of running a law firm have increased over the last 20 years with compliance responsibility, financial liabilities. I think it's difficult for someone to put in capital to a a business when they're struggling to get a mortgage, for example. So there's just a psychological change, I think, that's needed. But I think in the city firms, there's still that, in areas, intense competition for partnership, particularly in some of the big pan areas of law like corporate and finance. I think when you get more down to the small and medium firms, the reason they have succession issues is because there isn't the new partners coming through the next generation, which is a challenge. Um, So, yes, I think there are still people that want to aspire to partnership, but that pool has reduced quite a lot over the years. Yeah, no, I I think I agree with that one, to be honest. Although it is interesting, we are seeing more firms with non-chargeable partners entering the partnership. So um, FDs becoming equity partners, um, even HR-related functions, so people partners, HR partners, that seems to be becoming more of a focus as firms focus more on the staff welfare Mm -hmm. and recognising that people in the administration functions are as valuable, if not more valuable to the business than some of the partners that have been there for a number of years. And I assume that they would then think about ABSs to be able to yeah. give non-lawyers, which is a wonderful term, 
uh, bumped up to partnership. So uh, I don't know, do you think with limited companies that helps with share options maybe to entice people into partnership more? I'm not quite sure that has been, or with employees more, I'm not sure if that would work. Yeah, I've not really come across share options being used. Mm. Um, But it's, it's just good to see that firms are able to offer some form of ownership. Obviously, it's not through the traditional partnership mechanism, but it, it, it's good to see people have that ability to be able to do it. So you touched on capital, talking about partners. And one of the things that law firms are famously bad at managing <laughs> is their lockup in their cash flow. So without going to the partners asking for cash, um, it seems the best thing people firms can do is manage their lockup and manage their debtors. And it's interesting in the survey, um, regional firms have lockup of about 123 days and the city firms were 143. So not a million miles off. But the thing that stood out to me was the conversion. So with the regions, it's broadly half of that is whip days, half of it is debtor days. Whereas for city firms, a third of it is whip days and two thirds of it is debtor days. So city firms seem to be much better at raising bills, but a lot worse at collecting the cash in from them. And I didn't know there's anything you can think that stands out between the two types of firm that might cause that. Potentially culture, competition to get the bills in quickly to make their way up to partnership. Maybe it's more competitive in city firms and raising the bills is the primary goal for people to say this is how much I've billed. Maybe more efficient billing practices in some of the city firms in terms of getting the bills in quicker. Mm. Um, it really does depend on each individual firm and how quickly the type of work they do, which could be a factor as well. Um, some regional firms might need to have longer transactions to building up WIP. It takes it longer to get the bills in um, and the type of areas of work they do, but also their billing processes in how they bill as work's completed rather than waiting till month end. Sometimes regional firms have bigger fluctuations. But I think one of the things from the survey is just looking at cash will be still one of the biggest targets of firms to look after and to ensure that it's managed well. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. Is there anything that you think firms could improve with their working capital management models? Just think the basics really, ensuring bills are raised on time, are sent to the client on time, are then chased accordingly. Maybe taking the fee owner out of the credit control functions without having involving them. Um, I think use of technology, there's some uh, software available now with open banking where payments can be made easier, payment options for clients. But I also think it's about changing behaviour. You shouldn't just report on fees generated, fees received. Uh, as one example, I've seen many firms now are actually bringing it into the performance appraisal to ensure bills are sent out on time for firms. So that gives the incentive to ensure it's done. Yeah, no, that that's interesting. As you alluded to, it's it's nothing massively clever. It, it's good basics and good housekeeping can really drive strong working capital management. But it's getting that buy-in and cultural piece from from the teams and getting people to buy into it. And let's face it, if you want to find a way to make people embrace something, it's to bring it into their appraisals Absolutely. and their profit shares and their bonuses. Um, so one of the 
things you picked up on when firms can think about managing their costs was that firms may look at more remote working going forwards yep. or, or agile working. Um, in the survey, 65% of firms considered it had a negative impact on collaboration and teamwork. I mean, personally, I find it quite surprising given the post-pandemic world we now find ourselves in, where technology allows colleagues to have meetings at any time in any place. I mean, how have you found remote working for your firm and your team? I think we've had many more positives than negatives. Um, I think where we started the process early in speaking to staff, understanding their concerns, we now have a three and two policy that's built on trust that works very well for us. Um, in terms of remote working affecting collaboration teamwork, I can see why people would say that. I would also suggest that the technology like Zoom and Team have actually improved collaboration because you can connect anywhere, anytime with anyone, share information, discuss information. And I think they've sort of replaced phone calls as well, which means that more face-to-face interaction. I would, I just don't think it should be a long-term replacement completely from working from home to that face-to-face interaction. Teamwork's built on re- relationships and trust some of the time. And I think those interactions having the office are vital as well. But so no, I don't look at it as a negative impact but I think it's a balance of all different ways of working that can really have the positive, not just one way. Yeah, no, I think I'd agree. Personally, the way we operate as a firm is agile. And it, it works It works well for us. It tends to work quite well with our clients. Um, and it is ultimately, as you said, based on trust. Yeah. And it, it's really important that managers, owners, partners in a law firm can trust the teams that they're working with and not assume that because someone's working from home now down the local tip or in being q buying some shelves it, it it's all about trust well that brings this episode of crowcast to a close we hope you found it informative do visit our website crow.co.uk to see the full law firm benchmarking report for yourself thank you to richard for joining us today my pleasure And thank you for listening. Do look out for our next episode of Crowcasts. Tune in next time for another episode of Crowcasts. For more information about Crow, our services, industries we devise and insights, visit crow.co.uk. We are an independent member of Crow Global, one of the top 10 accounting networks in the world. You can connect with us on social media by following Crow UK on LinkedIn or at Crow UK on Twitter.